Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and speaks to your heart. Enjoy the message. First and foremost, I want to welcome the church. Welcome home. Welcome to our place of worship. It's always great being together. Whether you're here live in person or you're watching through the camera. Thank you so much, Vicente. Or you're watching um, later on or you're watching the translation in Spanish. We thank you for being with us. Um, And if you're listening on the podcast, thank you for also taking the time out of your week to listen to these messages. Believe me that when the Lord wants to speak to you, it's good to have many channels open for Him to speak to you. So if you haven't already done so, I recommend that you, su- that you subscribe to our podcast, whether on Spotify um, or, or, or Apple Podcasts. Um, it's a very convenient way to, ke- to keep yourself edified. You want to grow in your faith? Keep yourself edified. The same way that you would listen to your music or you would listen to an ebook, listen to messages that edify your faith and build you up because it's a great way to keep yourself in a spiritual mindset. I guess this, uh, this weekend was the weekend for movies and symbolism. Um, last night, my, uh, we, we, were, uh, in, we were getting the kids ready for bed, and I was giving Oliver his bottle, and, we were, and my wife decides to put a movie called Dr. Doolittle. And I gave her this face of like, really? That's what we're going to watch tonight? Fine. And to my surprise, um, maybe it was just me, or maybe it was because my mind was already thinking about it. Um, but I, I mentioned the movie because of what happens in it. If you've never seen it, too bad, I'm going to spoil everything for you. The movie was like 30 years old, just like Hook. Um, it's a really old movie. It's back when Ed, Eddie Murphy was Eddie Murphy. Um, but I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get to why um, I mentioned that. And I mentioned it because it, it happened last night, and I didn't really have a time to you know, write it back here into, my, into what I wrote down as notes. But I want to make sure that I touch on that. And that's why I asked for the cup and the water. But I want you to look to your neighbor this morning, and I want you to bless them. I want you to do the following. I want you to get up from your seat and go to someone that isn't in your section. Now, and I want you to go bless somebody. Go bless somebody. Come on, you church. Let's get up. Let's go bless somebody. Let's, let's speak life into somebody's heart. Let's lay hands on them. If you see a vision, hear a word, say it to them. Let's be mobile this morning. Let's bless them. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak life. And you speak life in abundance. All right, all right. Yes, thank you, Lord. Amen, amen. Pastor Kevin, we did this already after worship. No, it's not a one-time thing. It's a let me, let me speak life as often as I possibly can. Now, I want you to stay standing. And I, I want you to take your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6.
Second Samuel, chapter six, two Samuel six. And I want you to locate verses twelve through twenty-two. When you found it, go ahead and say, "I'm ready." Father, we bless your word, and we ask for your word to bless us in Jesus' name. Second Samuel chapter six, verse twelve says this. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Six steps later, he's already sowing seeds. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horn. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael... The daughter of Saul looked down from her window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think that I am distinguished. Everyone say, yes, I am willing. And you may take your seats this morning in the presence of the Lord. And we can show that screen. Yes, I am willing is the sermon title that the Lord gave me as I sought him this week and pondered in what he wanted to speak to us. Now, today's message is an unintended addition to the series of ungodly beliefs. It wasn't intentional. I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't even thinking about extending it uh, in a certain capacity. But I'm glad that the Lord always connects the chain links. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit always speaks the same message. Now, in, in the section of Scripture that, that we've read, we see a very common story or narrative regarding the great King David. David was overjoyed that the Ark of God was coming to him. 
So he freely and very publicly expressed his excitement. David was ecstatic to have God's presence physically living with him. And I ask you this morning, church, what presence physically lives in your home? In our pursuit. In our what? Pursuit of having a relationship with the Father. We need to arrive to the place in which we no longer categorize Father and man in the same spectrum. Our Father in heaven is not our Father on earth. There are two very different people. You agree with me? We often place God under the same spectrum that we've already predeterminedly judged our earthly father. And we extend that spectrum to how people relate to us or others treat us. People tend to not give me much attention. I'm often abandoned or forgotten or not even invited. So God must be the same way. But I tell you, church, that the longer that we categorize the Father after how people relate to us, the longer we're going to be distant from the Father's love. Not because of His doing, but our own. Father loves to spend time with me. My Father enjoys my presence. Surely others do as well. That's the difference in where you place the Father in the spectrum of relationship. When you know that you have a relationship with your Father in heaven, you know where you stand with people. Now, pardon me if I don't move much this morning. Um, on Friday, right before our young adults gathering, um, I was taking a quick nap. I was, you know, after prayer morning, I had kind of a long day getting everything ready, and I was at home taking a quick little nap, and I heard Olivia crying, and usually when she cries, it's because Wendy's busy with Oliver or something. So I jumped out of bed, and in that moment, I, my guitar was on the floor because Oliver likes to play it. I kicked my guitar by accident, and it spun around, and when I was about to step, my foot landed on the, on, on, on the head part with all of the pegs, um, and, my fru- and my foot is bruised. Uh, dumbest way to hurt yourself, if you ask me. Um, but it's, it's, just, it's just been bothering me lately, and um, so I, if, if you see me kind of doing this with my leg, just ignore me. Uh, it's just that I, I, I need to take pressure off it. Um, so if your job is easy today, Brian, it's because of that. But the Father enjoys, everyone say, my Father enjoys to be with me. I like how somebody said the first part, and then the, the second part was like, because, I'll get there, I'll get there. Our relationship with the Father, our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, and our relationship with the Holy Spirit cannot be categorized in the way that we we relate to our brothers, sisters, employers, 
friends, cousins, or even our parents. As good or as bad as your parents may or maybe they still are, if they cannot fall under the same spectrum that you think God is. See, the, the thing within our parents is we're still discovering who they are and how they are. My parents recently became grandparents roughly two years ago. In their heart, they did not know what it was to be a grandparent. Now they're experiencing a different type of love that though they say is different, if you truly see it, they love their grandkids more than their own kids. But see, that's not a wrong thing. It's a natural reaction. As I, you know how they describe grandparents, their grandparents are fathers without the rules. Grandparents can take the kids wherever they want, give them whatever they want, and they give them back to their parents to deal with the repercussions. Why is my kid up until midnight bouncing around the walls? Hey, he's your kid. I, I uh, sometimes tell my wife, I'm tired of taking care of my parents' grandkids. I want them to deal with them for a week one day. And then I feel super guilty, and you can ask me, I feel so guilty when, I, when, when, when they're asleep and I'm in my bed, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could hold them right now. But we cannot categorize church. And I'm telling you from living experience. For years, I categorized God as the way my father was. Now, my vision and my perception of my father was shattered because of my own insecurities and sin and decisions. And I'll touch on that in just a bit. But let me tell you something that I didn't know fully, and it's this. Did you know that in reality, our relationship with the Father is not actually our relationship? All we have done through the essence of adoption is we've entered into the relationship between Jesus and his Father. We didn't build our own relationship between me and God because in our nature, there's no way that we can do that. There's no way that we can build our own functional relationship with the Father when we don't know how to be sons or daughters. But it, through adoption, through the great moment of adoption, Christ dying on the cross, us believing and trusting in Him and living to 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 do the will of the Father, in that process of adoption where we become sons and daughters, we jump into the active relationship between Jesus and the Father. So right then and there, you get an upgrade. I get an upgrade. We don't have to construct from ground zero. We simply step in, like the diagram here. All we're doing because Jesus says that we're seated at the right hand of the Father. So if the Father, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it, but the presence of God is not going to kill me or anything. It's just an illustration. If the Lord, the Father sits there, and Jesus sits here, we don't sit on the floor. Now he says that we sit on the right side. Oh, that feels good. We're seated where he sits. We have a place at the table. In other words, what Jesus, where Jesus is, we are as well. 
Not we will be, not we have been, we are. When we come into relationship with the Father and we, and we grow in our understanding and we experience the revelation of, of the Father's love and the Father's adoption and where we are, so many things in your mind can no longer continue to function. Your mindset of who you once were can no longer function when you're sitting where you're supposed to. If I'm seated next to the Father, I cannot think how unwanted I am. I can no longer think how unloved I am. Because when you look at who's next to you, it's the complete, picture, the complete opposite. Why would a, a God or a Father that doesn't love me sit me next to him? Sit me where Jesus sits. Jesus never allowed the opinions or treatment of others to interfere with how he related with his father. And the father never changed how he related with Jesus because of what others did or said. The way that Jesus differentiated Joseph and his father were very obvious. Because from a very early age, you see Jesus leave his parents without permission. But where, did he, where was he given permission? Where did that permission come from? I come to do the will of my father. And if Joseph, if you're, if you're not okay with that, I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry, as they say. Because even Mary was like, Jesus, how could you do this? And he said, hey, hey. I'm where I'm supposed to be. You were the one that left. In other words, there is nothing should have an effect in how you relate to the Father because nothing affects how He relates to you. What the Father has already decided to do is adopt you. Period. It's interesting or crazy to me that God does not feel regret with me. Despite what I've done and who I've been and what I've done and even what I'm going to do, in his heart for me, there is no regret. And I know in marriage, sometimes we feel like, man, did I really make the right decision with this person? Anyone ever felt that? There's no, no honest people here? Okay. In my relationship with my wife, I had moments in which I thought, maybe I made a mistake. <gasps> I'm human. I'm human. Now, thankfully, the Lord always corrected me. Obviously, I did not make a mistake in well, she didn't make the mistake. I always pursued her. But in that pursuit, this is what the Lord re revealed to me in my pursuit of my wife. It took four years for me to convince her or for her to realize that I was going to be her husband. In the year 2012, when I first met her, she, she, moved down, she moved up here in April. And I knew, and I, I always tell her, from the moment I met you, I knew that I'd marry you. You were the one that didn't know that. Now, unfortunately, our 
pathway split for four years, and then when I came back home, I pursued her, and it, it just it took a long time. But what caused the change in her was what the Lord told me to do. When she finally told me, Kevin, I don't see you that way. I don't think that things me and you are going to be a thing. I'm sorry. My first reaction was immediately to cut her from my life. That was my reaction. But the Lord said, don't you dare change how you are with her. And I said, but Lord, it's not fair. And all he told me was, don't you dare change how you are with her. And sure enough, that was the changing factor in her. She was surprised that I didn't change how I was with her. In the pursuit of the Father to us, He never changes how we are, how He is to us, regardless of how many times we say, nope, I'm too busy, nope, I'm too tired, nope, nope, I don't have... The Father never changes His pursuit of us. But I tell you this morning, church, don't you dare, don't you dare, speaking from experience, don't you dare change your pursuit of the Father. And if, you've ne if, you, and if you haven't started your pursuit, start. But don't you dare stop. David, <laughs> the great King David, was king before the Israelites, the giant slayer, the great mighty warrior. Before his people, that's what he was. But before God, he was David, his son. He was a son after his father's heart. That's who David was. Because even before he received his kingship, he was a man after God's heart. David just wanted to please the Father. And the crazy thing is that he was so knitted into pleasing God that God chose his lineage to bring forth the Messiah. If you don't know the genealogy of Jesus, read it in Matthew 1. And I've mentioned this before, but God even redeemed Rahab, the prostitute. From the lineage of a king, then to the lineage of a prostitute, came Jesus. <laughs> if you don't know the story of Rahab, go and read it. It'll blow your mind. It's, it's amazing. But see, David before God was just a son. Because David knew there was only one king. There was the king of kings. So David didn't have to come up to the presence of God and say, Here I am, O God, King David. <laughs> Before God, that didn't mean anything. All David had to do was, Father, I'm here, your son. Everything that you are and that you are experiencing today stems from the condition of your heart. You may be able to change your behavior by determination and willpower. As Pastor mentioned, you strive and you, and you err and you grunt and you do all these things to change how you are. But I can tell you what's going to happen. You may make the right choices. You may do the right things. 
You may respond the right way. And you may even smile and behave like a good Christian. But one day, everyone say one day, something's going to happen that's going to revert you back to your default setting. Saying things you're not supposed to be saying. Thinking things you're not supposed to be thinking. Doing things you're not supposed to be doing. Treating people the way you're not supposed to be treating. Why? A change in actions will not change who you are. Only a heart change can do that. You can physically alter your behavior and how you are and how you talk and the things that you think about, but eventually your performance will come to an end. Because an event will happen that will no longer allow you to function in a pretend setting. Everybody can function in a pretend setting when there is no pressure added. But the moment the pressure comes, who you are is revealed. It's inevitable. I am inevitable. In that inevitable moment that will come, I'm telling you, it's the weekend for movies, apparently. Thanos is... Oh, go for the head. Go for the head, guys, if you see him. But in that inevitable moment that will come where pressure is going to hit you like a ton of bricks, who you are is going to pop up. And if you've been pretending, oh, I'm a good Christian, I can say the right things, give the Christian smile, and say and do and behave, the moment the pressure comes, you will revert back to your default setting because that's how you know how to react. It's your nature. It's who you are in your nature, your physical, human nature. But unless you swap out fully your default settings in your heart from carnality and you swap it out for Father's love, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you will end up back to your pretend settings. But let me tell you this, church, sinful, sinful is your default setting. As a human, as a person, your default setting when you are born is sinful. You know how when you sometimes have to change settings, there's, you know, switches and they're always labeled up, down, reset, re and all these things. Our, def our switch is always up to set sinful. Always. And that's the only one. There's no button that you can push that will change your settings. It's just who we are in our nature. But it's funny how God's default setting is loved. When we learn to swap out our default settings and we say, Okay, Lord, sinful is what I am. It's not what you made me. I function in this because I don't know anything else. I function in this because of my ungodly beliefs, because of life and because of traumatic moments and because of suffering and pain and things that I've even made up about myself that nobody has said but the devil spoke and I believe and all of these things have made me live in my sinful settings. But loved is a, is a default setting of the Father. 
And he is looking to flip the switch this morning. The ungodly beliefs that we operate only hinder God's active power in our life to be able to progress His will on earth. You cannot fully function and advance the kingdom of light when you are operating under ungodly beliefs. And last week, I was able to identify in my own study and in my own personal time, I identified about six major ungodly beliefs that I had, some had, some have. Six out of, I don't know how many more I may have. But see, I'm not exempt just because I can hold a microphone. I'm not exempt just because of who I am or what title I can possess. But yes, Lord, I'm willing. David wasn't embarrassed to do what he needed to do when the presence and the ark of God was coming. There are some translations about, no, David wasn't actually naked, he was covered, and, this, and there's all these speculations, but when I read the scriptures in 2 Samuel 6, it said that David exposed himself. Now you may think, well, that's not right, how dare the king do that, that's sinful, and I tell you, wait, whoa, time out. David's goal was not to expose himself. David's goal was to celebrate what was happening. And I ask you this morning, church, are you willing to fully celebrate what the Lord wants to do in your life? It's no coincidence that David happened to not have any clothing. See, you and I show up to church and we come nicely dressed, uh, we bring clothes, and we ensure that, you know, we look presentable. But in those moments when I think about Eden and Adam and Eve, the last thing that they, or they didn't even think about was covering themselves. Before the Lord, they were as they came. They were naked before the Lord. In other words, they were willing to expose themselves before the Lord fully and unashamed. But often our ungodly beliefs will convince us that it's better, it's better to seek God in fig leaves than to seek God fully vulnerable and exposed. Well, I'm still seeking God, but I'm just not giving Him all of the nasty things in my life. I'm still seeking God, but He doesn't really fully know everything, though He already does. <laughs> and I tell this to our youth group all the time. There is no sin that you've committed that will not come to light. And their eyes often go like this. But that's the reality. But I tell you, ask yourself this parents this is a question that I ask myself all the time do you want your children to operate in what you struggle with do you want your loved ones to think the same way that you think I meditate on these two specific questions because I knew I, I knew who I was growing up <laughs> and I knew what I did growing up and I knew how sneaky and how crafty I was. If, if I could outsmart my dad, I was good at deceit. 
Because my dad is a type of person like Brian who they notice details that a normal person wouldn't. Their mind analyzes things even in the quickest little glance. That's how they're built. But my sinful nature was able to outwit and deceit that. And I always ask myself, when I look at Oliver play and he's just making noise or just running around the house or he's chasing the dog or he's just doing something and I often just look at him and I pause and I ask myself, do I want Oliver to operate in what I struggle with today? And I, I don't mean on, um, I, I, I mean what I struggle with in my belief system. Do I want him to think that he's rejected? Do I want him to think that he's not good enough? Do I want him to think that he's actually not worth living? Do I want him to think that he's not actually important? Those are all what? They're all ungodly beliefs. But if I struggle and if I don't break them in me, it's nobody else's fault but my own that he will inherit that belief system. Do I want my kids to struggle with what I am living right now? Is that the inheritance that I want to leave for mine? Do I want them to think the same way that I think? When I was only eight years old, my promiscuous lifestyle began. And my mind immediately was flooded with every lustful sexual thought you can think of. And my perception of the female person was they're only good for one thing. <gasps> that was who I was. And when I think about who I was and I look at my son and I look at my daughter, I say, Lord, free them from who I was. Break in them that ungodly belief that they have to be like me. So ask yourself, Mom, ask yourself, Dad, do you want your kids to operate in what you struggle with today? Is your ungodly belief worth your children suffering? Are my ungodly beliefs worth hindering God's active power in their life because I gave them those ungodly beliefs? And I implore to you this morning, church, there is a reason why they call Jesus the great surgeon. There is a reason why they call him the great physician. And I implore you, church, to allow the Father to perform open heart surgery on you. Because the only way that you can deal with ungodly beliefs is not by smacking your head thinking, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's not by you praying the same prayer 16 times and then putting your own hands and screaming, get out. The only way to deal with your ungodly beliefs is a change in your heart. Because you can convince your mind to stop thinking what you're currently thinking in, but like I told you, you will revert back to your default settings the moment the pressure is on. The moment that the heat turns up, you will begin to revert back to what you know what to do. Sinful reactions. Now here is your part in all of this process. 
to deal with the ungodly beliefs, to deal with the pain, to deal with the hurt. You must chase the Father's heart. Everyone say, whoa. Simplicity. It's not a complicated concept. But see, the gospel is often overly complicated. It's overly stimulated to sound smart and to sound specific ways. But the fact of the matter is, you want to experience the Father's love, you must chase the Father's heart. And I learned this myself, what what I'm about to show you. And it's the process in which I am currently living and enjoying so much is that you cannot be a son to God if you cannot first be a son to your father. Now, nobody knew this, but for years, I was not a son to my father before me here. In my own ungodly beliefs and my own pains and wounds and uh, repressed traumas or pain, I pretended to walk as a son. Like I told you, I'm speaking out of this from experience. I pretended, gave the right smiles, gave the right movements, even gave the right things as a son would do. But when the moment got tough, I resulted back to my default setting. Okay. Now, now I, I don't mind being vulnerable before the church. I have no problem with it. Because by now, you should know that I'm not perfect. By now, you should know that I'm just another man. But perhaps the difference between you and I is that I'm willing. You cannot be a son to God if you cannot first be a son to your father. So many of us walk in with the pain and the scars of our past. And they hinder our transition into fully sons and daughters of the Father. And unless we confess and seek healing in our scars, we will always give the enemy an entryway. Everyone say entryway. Into our life. Now, I didn't know this before, but I found this out this week. Did you know that scar tissue doesn't grow? When you, if, if, if as a little kid, how many of you would fall off your bike or you scraped your knee or you hurt yourself in some way, right? If you didn't, then you had a horrible childhood because being outside and falling and scraping and dangerously almost killing yourself, but never telling your parents, those, those, those were the days. So many times was I close to losing my life from doing fun, dumb things. Like I remember one time, I think Fernie was riding his bike and I was on rollerblades on the street horrible idea, and I was grabbing onto the, to the, the back of his bike, and he took off because he was not the nicest person to go slow. He just takes off, and he's going, and I'm like, Fernie, wait, 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 and then the rocket's chipped, and I go forward, and the wheel just goes, and I dodged it by like a millisecond, and I fell to the floor, and I was like, what just happened, and then I was like, I almost died. All right, let's do it again, and, we're just, let's, and it, was just, it was just moments where you're just like, hey, I, this, this is life. This is childhood, experiencing getting cuts and bruises and bleeding everywhere. And then going home for dinner and being like, hey, I'm going to do it all over again tomorrow. But did you know that scar tissue, when you scrape yourself, it actually doesn't grow? I didn't know that. 
If you cut yourself as a child and you get a scar and you grow, the size of the scar will stay the same. As a, as a little kid, yeah, it looked like a massive hole, but as you grow up, your skin grows, but not the scar. And I asked, and I was thinking about that, and, I, and then I read some stuff, and I realized, wow, this is actually more profound than I thought. When your heart is scarred, that part of your heart does not grow up, but remains a child. This is why we often have childish reactions that we're ashamed of, and we try to react differently the next time it happens, but we can't because of the scar. When our hearts have been neglected or have not received the affection that it needs or that it has been or because it's been hurt or broken, that part of our heart will remain scarred until you allow Father's healing love to deal with your scars. I had many growing up. And about a week, a week and a half ago, um, because I've been reading this book about sonship, um, and I strongly recommend it to everybody. I... I don't know why my dad gave me that book, but it was a gift from God himself. Because, because of what I've been reading and studying, it has literally broken in me things that I had no idea that I was bound to. One of them was my pretentious, pretending lifestyle as a son. And in, in this book, the author James Jordan, he struggled for years to forgive his dad because of so many things. But he decided one day to forgive his dad, and he would express all these different things, and he wrote a letter. And in that letter, he described everything and the moments and the pains and all these things, but in his heart, he had decided, I need to forgive my father. Because if I want to be a son of God, I have to be a son of his father. And he wrote a letter and all these things, and it, the, uh, the, the letter was on his bookshelf for about a month or two because he was nervous about how his father would react. His father had never spoken the word I love you to him or even given him a hug his entire life. So he didn't know how his father would react to him asking for forgiveness and him forgiving and doing all these things. And as I read that story, it was a Monday night and the Lord hit me with a gigantic slap in the face. And I could just hear him almost like right here. You know when someone just stands real close to you? And you can kind of hear their breathing and you can feel the air. And all I heard was, are you done? Are you done? And I sat there thinking, I'm thinking, Lord, what do you mean? Am I done? And he said, are you done pretending? And I just started bawling in, in my little office space. And I was just there and I'm thinking, God, but how am I supposed to do this? My, and immediately my scars in my heart reverted back to how I was a little kid. And when I would do something bad, the reaction that my father would give me was always negative. So that's how I thought, if I do this, my father is going to be upset with me. That was my initial reaction. Because in my little child heart, I was scarred in those moments. And then I told my wife about it, and she was just like, that's, that's, that's a great thing. So I began to write the letter, and as I was writing that letter, I was crying yet again, thinking of all the experiences of, that, of all those things. If I mention them, I'm, I'm not going to stop crying this morning, so I won't. Um, 
But in that process, as I, as I wrote that letter, I said, Lord, okay, help me to write this letter in a way that's not going to come off as I'm blaming my father. Because when I first did the first draft, it was all about, you did this to me, and you did this to me. And I could feel, you, you know how when you do something wrong, you feel like gross? I felt that way. As I was writing, I said, wait a minute, no, this isn't, this is not God what I'm feeling right now. Because when I felt God tell me, are you done pretending? I didn't feel icky. I felt as if I could just melt in that moment. So I erased everything and I said, Lord, give me the words because I need help. I want to be a son to you, but I need to be a son to my father first. And I prayed and I began to write and as I wrote everything and things began to make sense and I cried again and I bawled again and I, when I finally finished the letter, the last part that was there was just, all I want is my daddy. And when I wrote that last little phrase, I lost it and I cried and I just was there and it was as if I didn't have a wife or kids for that hour and a half. It was as if God just put me in a bubble and said, this is your time for healing. So I did that, and it was a Wednesday before service, and I was shaking, and I, even my wife was like, it's okay, you know, you can do this. She was motivating me, and I was nervous, but I knew that I had to. I knew that for me to stop pretending in my default setting to finally get out of being a pretentious 28-year-old kid, I needed to take the next step in my process. So I... <laughs> I didn't say to my dad, hey, can I talk to you? Because that, that would sound really serious. I said, hey, can I read you something? Sounds a, a, a little less threatening, right? Hey, can I read you something? And he was like, read me something. Okay. He had, he had no idea. Well, I thought he had no idea. But the moment that I mentioned about the book, and he said, oh, okay. And then I start reading, and I start saying all these things, and I don't hear anything. I don't hear the anger. I don't hear the yells. I don't see the man that would once, uh, in my own little itty-bitty heart, kid mind, where he would stand over me as this oppressive being. No, I just saw a father listening to his son, taking responsibility for the things that he did without even knowing that he did. And I finished the letter, and the the last thing, it's, it's what I wanted to experience, but it wasn't what I thought I was going to experience. All he did was he got up, and he just hugged me and said, I'm sorry, son. Forgive me for those things. And we had a great moment, and we talked about other things, and I opened up my heart about my current situation, what I was experiencing, and all these different things. And it was as if in that moment, everything that I had ever wanted growing up, the Lord said, here you go. Here is the moment of healing that you needed. And from that moment till even now, my heart, it's as if it's different. It's not the same damaged and hurt heart that I had against my father. It was so bad that when he would call me, my phone would ring, I would get a knot in my stomach thinking, oh, what did I do? And he would say, hey, uh, you guys hungry? You guys want to go eat? And I'd be like, Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Or I would get a text because my dad before wasn't much of an emoji user or punctuation. So it was very confusing. So he would send me a text that would just say, call me. The word call me, right? But in my head, I would read, call me. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Maybe he saw my bank account. Maybe he knew. Maybe he finally find out, found out what I did and all these different things. And he just wanted to ask me a question. But see, that's how scarred my heart was. That's how damaged I was. But I, when I read the scriptures about David dancing before the Lord, it was as if I was there. Where I, I finally felt where I could just be, be me. Because my heart was no longer hiding. My heart was no longer pretending to be something that it wasn't. And perhaps you're sitting, listening to me today and thinking, well, that sounds nice, that's a great story, but you know, I, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty healed. I thought so too. I thought I was pretty healed too. Heck, I even lied to myself so much that I preached about healing, preached about sonship before. But see, I'm, I'm willing to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, nude me, expose me. Naked I came to this world, naked I'll leave it. Might as well let everybody see. But if it pleases you, then I'm in the right place. And as I pondered all these things and I began to kind of read more about scar tissue, I realized somebody was also scarred. In the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a specific person that allows his body to be scarred. It's Jesus. And this is, this is I, I, I thought this was amazing. That when Jesus comes after he dies, destroys death, destroys the enemy, he resurrects, but he doesn't heal his scars. Doubting Thomas, what did he do? I got to feel him. I, I got to make sure it's, it's the authentic, it's the real deal. <laughs> I mean, if he looks like Jesus, I mean, just, Thomas is another, Thomas was like you and I, if we're honest. We could have walked with Christ, and if he, he would have died and come back, we would have been right there with Thomas. I got to feel the finger. I got to feel the hole. But the only scars that are allowed to abide in heaven are the scars of Jesus, because they serve as a reminder that he can and he will heal our scars. So when you allow the Father to fully enter into your heart and you allow him to show you the, those moments that you've repressed so low and you allow healing, Jesus will remind you, my scars are here so you don't have to have any. I'm scarred so you don't have to be. And I thank God that he is in the healing hearts business. That he doesn't get tired of laying hands to heal. The wonderful news in all of this is that when love comes, everything that is lack of love that has been done to you gets reversed. In this book of sonship that I'm reading, James Jordan mentions a word called unlove. It's not an actual word. You can't combine un and love and make it a word. But he says, hey, what the heck? I'm doing it anyways, and I'm going to publish it. So I thought that was a great representation because we often experience a lot of unloved moments. 
De Danny mentioned it. He's not here. On Friday, Brian, Brian made a joke, and Danny was like, oh, you punctured my love tank. And I realized, hey, that's like from two years ago, our, our love tank. But we experience these little moments of punctures, of unlove. And we often, you know, go through hurts and wounds and painful experiences and even traumatic events which create holes in the foundation of the person that we are. And if, if, if you, you could bring me a bucket, or a trash can even, that's fine. And I wanted to do this because I thought that it was a great example. Now, I didn't know that this was an example that you were, that you were going to use. I had no idea. This is, the Holy Spirit literally just showed me two cups and a bottle of water. So, But give credit where credit is due, right? Uh, maybe. I'll see you right now. Could you hold the mic for me, though? Now, Now, this is, this is what, what I want you guys to, to understand, church. This is, this is our life. We start from the bottom and we, we, we move our way up as we grow. And the realization is, is that we go through moments where, as a little kid, we experience small little punctures. They, they didn't want to sit with me at lunch. Oh, okay. But as we grow and we experience life, my father didn't love me. My mother rejected me. I was abandoned by my wife. My mom passed away when I needed her. I was betrayed by the one person that said that they'd never betray me. And we have, and this is how we look. This is our heart. Most of us think that we're like this. <laughs> Fact of the matter is we're actually living like this. And then, you know, we start to experience some good things in life, and we're like, oh, wow, you know, I, felt, I find love, or I, I find a church, and the people start loving me, and we're pretty good. But what's happening? I'm linking. Oh, Lord, I love you, and I want you to help me, and I want you to heal me, and we, we get involved in church, but we're still keeping our distance. And, you know, we develop more and more emotions and feelings and all these things. No matter how much I pour in, it doesn't stay. It doesn't function. Our heart says, I, I want to love, but I remember when they betrayed me. I want to love, but I remember when they neglected me. I want to love, but I was told that I was never good enough for love. This is us. But what does the amazing love of the Father do? He sees our heart and he says, okay, son, you've experienced all these things. I'm going to plug in. Notice, the positioning of the cup makes all the difference. I'm going to plug in what you're missing. 
Now all of these scars, I can, the Father can pour his love. <gasps> wow, I feel love. Wow, I encountered love. And then you meet somebody, and then they pour in love to you, and they pour in, and they pour in, and they pour, 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 pour. And the beautiful thing is that when the Father is thirsty, He can drink. You can give to people love, and they can drink. They can take the cup, and they can drink. And eventually, you don't even notice your heart's restored. What once leaked and dripped and was broken, the restoration of the heart will make all the difference in your process and in your decision making. But what do most people do? That sounds great, but it's just that little phrase, but it's just it's just not fair. How come they get to get away with it so easily? That's not fair. Me, forgive them. They should ask me for forgiveness. In that letter that I wrote to my father, thank you, I appreciate it. In that letter that I wrote to my father, in that bottom section, I wrote, I know I have not been the most perfect son. And there are more things that I have to ask you for forgiveness because of what I did to you. And how I hurt your heart. But you see, asking for healing is not just you getting forgiven or you experiencing forgiveness. You have to indeed also learn to ask. You get it, but you also have to ask for it. And church, it is my desire for you to walk like this. Because you're going to eventually experience somebody that needs love. And guess what? You, 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 you'll have love to give, and they can drink and be satisfied. Oh, but then you experience somebody else. They can take and drink, take and drink, agapeame, <laughs> and they can be satisfied. You can even deposit love into others. I gave love to my wife, gave love to my brother-in-law, gave love to my, to my mom, I still got love to give to myself. Because Jesus says to love your neighbor as you love. If you don't love yourself, how can you love others the way Jesus loves them? Right, young adults? We studied that on Friday. When you learn that you are supposed to be a cup of love and giving, you will learn to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I don't want to hinder the move of your love to other people. How can I give my kids how can I give Oliver my love when my heart is punctured? My son doesn't deserve my punctured, scarred, fractured love. My son deserves the love of the Father because that's the love that was given to me. And this is the craziest part for me, that when we experience the healing love of the Father, and he covers and seals in our wounds, <laughs> that's only step one. 
That's literally only the beginning of everything. That's just God saying, all right, I was just getting started. Now that you're healed and now that you're pouring out love like I pour into you, now it's time for the work. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to tell you, after you experience it and after you are walking and being able to function as a love well, and you're moving in that amazing love of the Father, free of the scars, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 say, this is after we allow the Father to, to, to cement us in His love, He says the following, then... We will no longer be immature like children, verse 14. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to kick us with lies so clear they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When we are exiting post-surgery of, of our hearts and he plugs in and he heals us from our fractured and scarred heart, then... We will no longer be immature like children. Then we can function as we us. Mature sons and daughters of God. Now your experience with your wounds, perhaps you feel like you're the only one. Perhaps you feel that nobody else has experienced what you've experienced. But I tell you, there, there is no pain too deep. There is no scar too long that the Lord cannot heal. Whatever you've encountered, let me tell you this, it's not worth living in the pain. You are designed to sit where Jesus sits, at the right hand of the Father. Come here, Pops. This is a better illustration for all of us. Now, your Father is Father in Heaven. I'm going to use my dad because he serves in both parts. So this is what we often do. Father and Jesus is here, and this is what we do. The camera is not going to be able to get this. Oh, Father, I love you so much. Oh, you're so gracious. Oh, I love you. I love you. And then the Father says, come closer. And we do, oh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, I love you. I love your presence and I love to be with you. Come closer. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's what a wounded, fractured heart looks like. It cannot draw close because if it draws close, the Father's going to see who we really are and how fractured our heart is that's why jesus sits us next to the father because here we experience the healing and we get to live in the healing away from the father oh i can take a puncture but if i'm with papa i can't get punctured by him 
Because he doesn't puncture, he fills. And if he fills, that means that others can come and I can pour out from this position. But the moment that I start thinking, oh, I can do it on my own. I can, I, I can be like God. Nothing can unthrone God. Lucifer thought, and look what, how he ended up. The greatest position that you will ever be able to have is next to daddy's side. Next to papa. And this is, this is the crazy thing for me. As I read David's story and I said, okay, God, this is so awesome. He's so happy that the Ark of the Covenant is coming back. But how, what does that have to do with this whole message? And he said, and the Holy Spirit whispered to me, David was happy and celebrating that Papa was coming home. There was a father coming back to the house. And the father wants to be father of your house. Question is, are you going to celebrate with fig leaves or are you going to run out the way you are? Fractured, punctured, bleeding out, but desperate for the father's fullness of healing. I ask you that this morning, church. Healing is possible. You're looking at two people who've experienced it. To a certain degree, is there more healing? A lot more healing. But the benefit is instantaneous. Ungodly beliefs are not worth limiting the love of the Father over your life. Ah, it's because I don't believe that I'm supposed to be loved this much. Well, I don't know who told you that. But that's a lie. And there was so much more that I wanted to pour out, but the Lord said, save it. But I want to I, I finish with this. Healing is possible for everyone. Can you? And I, I was thinking back and forth, Lord, what, what do we do? Do you want to do it? Are you looking to do it? And the Lord said, of, almost like this, like, excited, of course, type of sensation that I felt. Now, you may be sitting here today thinking, no, my heart's fine. My heart is, my, my, my heart's okay. But I spent the last about four and a half years thinking the same way. And I was living under a curse because of it. And my prayer to you is this. If you are in need of healing, I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to go there and grab you. I'm not going to do any of that. Healing comes when you want to be healed. So take the next minute or so and think internally. Lord, is there in my heart something that I know that I've repressed? In my childhood, I was molested. I was abused, 
neglected. And I thought that if I don't think about it, I could simply just shoo it away and it would leave me alone. Church, I thought the same thing. But I, in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you begin to just grab hold of hearts? Would you begin to just lay your hand on hearts, Holy Spirit? On, on those that need and know that they're experiencing something. Father, would you be the one to show them the avenue of healing? And I, I want us to all stand to our feet as a sign of reverence to the Father. And we're just going to take this, these simple moments. They're moments. But we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit. Think inside. Think inward. What have I held on to, Lord, for so long? And as you begin to think about those things, if you truly, truly desire and are looking for it, I just hear the phrase, come. Come as you are. eyes closed and head bowed. This is not a spectacle. This is not a, a let's see what's going to happen. This is a door shut moment where the Lord wants to bring healing to those that need healing. And if you're in need of healing, come, come as you are. feel the tug that's the Holy Spirit mm. Mm. thank you Holy Spirit thank you Holy Spirit alright now as we're here and waiting and for those that decided to step out in faith I want you to just begin to think about that moment. Think about what you felt. Don't run away from the pain. Don't be afraid of the pain. Jesus wants to perform open heart surgery this morning. And I see the image. Almost when a doctor's getting ready, they sterilize their hands and they're just waiting to start the process. In this moment now, Holy Spirit, every person that is here, would you just raise your hands? If you're in need of in seeking healing, would you just raise your hands to the Father and just openly speak out, Father, I need my heart healed. I need my heart healed. 
And here's where it all starts. You need to speak out where and what you need healing from. So you say, Father, I need healing because of and you feel where you need the healing. Where you know that your heart has been punctured and damaged and you've walked in those scars for so long. And you say it as many times as you need to say it. Father, I need healing from rejection. Father, I need healing from impure thoughts. Father, I need healing because my mother rejected me, abandoned me, neglected me. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Just say, Father, I need healing. Father, I need healing. Father, I need healing. push you a little bit further this morning because we got plenty of time. If you're seeking healing in your heart from an experience, the wishy-washy prayers, church, don't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Healing comes when you're as vulnerable as you know how to be. So in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you unplug, 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 Lord, unplug in every single person. And that, that the Father's love would just come now. The love of the Father would just flood now in Jesus' name in their hearts. All the wounds, all the wounds in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, 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 in Jesus' name,
este es un momento soberano, hermano. Quiero decirle, esta mañana, muy temprano, me sonó el teléfono. Y no sé cuántos se acuerdan años atrás cuando tuvimos la visita de aquel caminador del, la, de las calles y la carretera, Melvin, o Calvin, ¿cómo se llama? Calvin. ¿Se acuerdan de él? El que nos regaló aquel callado, el rojo, de Jehová, mi pastor. Él lo trajo y nos regaló, ¿se acuerdan? De repente me habla y me dice palabras que Dios le da. Y esta mañana me habló para decirme que estaba orando y el Señor puso en su corazón orar por nosotros. Y dijo, Mario, are you preaching this morning? Dije, no, I'm not preaching. Well, I'm glad you're not preaching, me dijo. And I hope today Kevin's preaching. Dijo, ojalá que predique Kevin hoy, me dijo. Le digo, ya, él, él predica hoy. Ok, dice, esto es lo que el Señor me está diciendo y te lo quiero compartir para que sepas. Creo que es un buen día hoy para hacer un altar call. Eso me dijo él, hay que hacer un llamado al frente. Porque Dios quiere, pero yo no te lo dije a ti, porque se me olvidó. Torale, porque se me olvidó. Hay que hacer un llamado al frente y pedirle a la gente que, como Moisés levantaba altares, como David levantó un altar, seis pies de haber avanzado al arca, levantó un altar de gratitud a Dios. Y cada cierto tiempo levantaba altares. Abraham lo hizo, Isaac lo hizo, Jacob lo hizo. El pueblo de Israel lo hacía por todo el tiempo. Levantaban altares de gratitud. Y él me dijo esta mañana, inviten al pueblo al frente y díganles que levanten un altar de adoración y de gratitud a Dios por lo que Él que está haciendo hoy en sus vidas y lo que quiere hacer en las vidas de todos nosotros. Así que creo que Dios tenía este momento asignado para que sucediera. Ni Kevin lo sabía, ni ustedes lo sabían, ni yo lo sabía. Pero tenía la intención de decírtelo antes de que predicara y se me olvidó. Qué bueno que no se lo dije, porque eso confirma que desde antes de empezar el día de hoy, Dios tenía planeado este día para ti y para mí. Amén. Hermano, regrese a su casa con esta conciencia. En el mover del, del amor de Dios, en el mover del amor de Dios, hermano, Dios te toca aunque no lo sientas. Dios deposita amor en ti aunque no tengas percepción de alguna sensación. El ejemplo del vaso, Él tira agua de amor, Él, él llena tu vida de amor y al momento muchos no lo sienten por las muchas scars, las muchas heridas que tienen, han acostumbrado su corazón a ya no sentir. Pero en los siguientes días, semanas y meses, la sanidad te empieza a permitir experimentar emociones. Así que no se sienta nadie mal que no sintieron el amor líquido, el toque mágico, el golpe fuerte, no se sienta mal nadie, hermano. Porque no lo sientas no quiere decir que no pasa. Dios está bombeando amor líquido en los corazones de muchos de ustedes hasta que llegue el día que lo sientas. Y de verdad que vas a experimentar una gran sanidad emocional profunda. Vaya en bendición, gracias por haber venido. Nos vemos este miércoles, les tengo una sorpresa tremenda también. Así que gracias, nos vemos. Nos...